Unlike a lot of believers today, when Jesus and his apostles spoke about the coming judgment, something that we often refer to with terms like the last days or the end times, they didn't talk about it as a topic unto itself. They didn't talk about it every once in a while when there were lots of questions about it that needed answered. It was a crucial part of their teaching about faith in Jesus. And we see that throughout the entire New Testament. In fact, every one of the gospel accounts gives reference to when Jesus will come again. In the gospel according to Matthew, we start to see that in chapter 24, verses 29 through chapter 25, verse 46. We see parallels of that in Mark 13, 24 through 37, as well as Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. These are passages where Jesus himself, instructing his followers, teaches them and gives parables to them about how one day the Son of Man will be seen coming in the clouds with power. The parables that he teaches alongside of it, challenging those disciples to live every day of their lives presently to be ready so that when that day comes, they're not caught off guard. Now, John's gospel account is a little bit different, but it too speaks of the judgment. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 12, beginning with verse 48, that the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. You see, as Jesus was teaching and preaching each day, he wanted it to be clear for folks that we need to make a decision as to whether or not we're going to hear him, whether or not we're going to receive what he says if we do eternal life awaits. But if we don't, there will be a last day in human history as we know it, where there will be judgment for the choices that we make. That message was woven throughout the preaching and teaching of Jesus' apostles as well. When the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record for us the history of the first 30 years of the church, we see across a variety of sermons that Jesus' apostles preached, across a variety of conversations that they had with people about faith in Jesus, that this idea of the coming judgment was crucial. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, in verses 30 and 31, as the apostle Paul was preaching to a crowd of Greek thinkers in the ancient city of Athens, a key part of his message was that Jesus will judge the world in righteousness. As he presented to them the truth of the one true God, it was crucial that they realize that that God expects them to repent, to completely change the direction of their lives, and that Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, will be the one who comes to judge the world, to right the wrongs, to do away with all that is sinful, all that is associated with death, and to usher us into eternity. Even outside of the recorded sermons and teachings of Jesus and the apostles, we see in the letters that the Holy Spirit that they wrote that nearly every one of them speaks in one way or another about the judgment day. Like in Romans chapter 2, when in verses 15 through 16, the Apostle Paul makes a reference to that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. 
There's small references like that, as well as larger explorations, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5, where the Apostle Paul engages in a lengthy discussion explaining exactly how the dead will be raised on that day when Jesus comes. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14 has another passing reference where it refers there to when we will acquire possession of our inheritance to the praise of his glory, while Philippians 3 spends a good deal of time talking about how we all are trying to attain that resurrection from the dead, reminding us that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, while the apostles would often devote a good deal of time and space to explaining some of the details about the coming of Jesus, it was never just to impart information, but it was meant to affect how we see our, see our lives now. Like in the midst of great ethical teaching that the Apostle Paul imparts in his letter to the Colossians, he leads off in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 by saying, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is our life now, and we look ahead to when Christ appears, and we get to appear with him. That changes how we approach 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5 or 2 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2, where the Apostle Paul does answer a lot of questions about the details around Jesus' appearing, where he does dispel some confusion or confront some deception that the Christians they were struggling with, but it does so not because it's a topic where we need to just have the right facts. He does so because it has a critical impact to how we live our lives. And that wasn't just true in Paul's preaching and teaching. It was also true in his mentoring and coaching. When he wrote to his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 16, and tells him that he needs to keep the commandment until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, where he reminds Timothy, charging him to preach the word that Christ is to judge the living and the dead. That Paul gives him this charge according to Christ's appearing in his kingdom. Or when he says to another of his protégés, Titus, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, that we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, while we see so much from the Apostle Paul about this coming day, we see it from the other New Testament writers as well. In fact, the Hebrews writer puts things very starkly in chapter 9 verses 27 through 28, when he says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus's half-brother James urges us in chapter 5, verse 7 of his letter, to be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 of when the chief shepherd appears and we receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Then in 2 Peter chapter 3, he explores in more details what happens when that day of the Lord does come like a thief, dissolving the heavens and bringing about the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, challenging us within that explanation, knowing that that's where all of this is headed, to really think about what kind of life we should be living right now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3 acknowledges that there's a lot about all of this that we don't understand right now. Acknowledging that what we will be has not yet appeared, but that we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So knowing that, having that hope, John says, we're to purify ourselves, even as Jesus is pure. Jude, verses 14 and 15, speak of how the Lord's coming with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds. And certainly it comes as no surprise to you that the last book of the Bible, the New Testament prophetic book of Revelation, speaks of the coming of the Lord. It starts in the very first chapter. When in verse 7, John says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And it only goes on from there. That's just a sampling of some of the ways and some of the places that the New Testament speaks of the coming of the Lord. It's a critical thing for us as followers of Jesus to be familiar with. But not just for the accumulation of the facts themselves. Certainly, we need to know the truth as the apostles gave it to us so we can test the Spirit. So when somebody says something that's not true, we can recognize that doesn't fit the way Jesus and his apostles spoke of it. But we also need to know it for the impact that it has on the choices we make and the priorities we set right now.